Hey everybody, what's going on? Rob Sisternino here with some bonus coverage here on RHAP. We're getting down towards the final table here in <laughs> Survivor. And I want to bring in a guy who reached out to me a couple of weeks ago. And I'm glad we were able to figure out a spot to get him in here because he's doing a lot of really, really amazing things. In addition to being a big Survivor fan, he's one of the hottest rising names in poker. He is also, in addition to being an amazing poker player, he's also an amazing poker podcaster and broadcaster. And if you thought that I was spreading myself thin, this guy is doing about twice as much <laughs> stuff as what I'm doing right now. Here is Jason Somerville. Jason, how are you doing? What's going on? You're way too kind to me, though. Way too kind. You do like 84 times the things that I do. It's, no, I've been know. going through your stuff. I think you're actually doing more stuff. And actually, <laughs> yeah, and you, more stuff, and you're actually uh, making a lot more money also. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, that part, I don't know. Poker is good for winning and losing money. So you never go to work and lose money making a podcast. That's, at least. That's, so at least there's that. That's true. And also <laughs> something else that I, I came as I was doing my research to discover about you, you are also the, I believe, are you the first and only openly gay poker player on the professional poker scene? I, I am the first. Somehow somehow I am the first and still pretty much the only high-profile male openly gay poker player. There is a brilliant woman, Vanessa Selbst, who is the first who just came on the scene and dominated years ago. But uh, yeah, two years ago, actually, I guess it's uh, two and a half years ago now, I came out and uh, life's been only better since then. So Okay, so this is right. really great timing with all of the Michael Sam stuff happening this weekend. So this is very, yep. very exciting. We've got a very relevant thing to talk about. We've got a cornucopia of things to discuss, I think. Okay. Well, <laughs> let's tell everybody about your background a little bit, because I think it's, it's very interesting because you are a pretty young guy and you've accomplished a lot in uh, your very, you know, quick rise up here, right? Yeah, you know, I'm I'm 27 now. I feel like I've been around for a long time. I started playing poker when I was 16. I was just like when it was starting to get popular. Chris Moneymaker had just won the World Series main event for like 2.5 million dollars. I was just watching poker with my dad, and uh, you know, I started falling in love with it. I, I'd always been a, a game player kid, always been very competitive. You know, you know how it is, us Long Island kids. There was no second place in my household. It was either win or don't come home. You know. Yeah. So I always had that very competitive competitive upbringing. And, uh, you know, when I started finding poker, I just found I, I just had a, a passion for it. And uh, eventually I won $5 in like a free promotional tournament online. I took that $5 like it was the only $5 I was ever going to see and uh, started playing for nickels and dimes online. A month later, I had a hundred bucks from that $5. A month after that, I had a thousand Three months later, I had 10,000, and a year after that, I had 100,000, and I wasn't even 18 yet. So uh, it worked out pretty well for me. That was 10 years ago, somehow, if you can believe that. And, and I've been doing poker ever since. All right, so now you're 17, 18 years old, and now you have now all of a sudden you have a lot of money. How do you keep from losing your mind at that point? <laughs> well, you know, there there were several days that I would say that I, I didn't really accomplish that. You know, I mean, when I had turned... When I had turned 18, I was still very involved in a karate school out in Long Island, and uh, I was really close with some of the families and actually babysat one of the kids because I'd been doing that for years. So I babysat one of these kids and made like 30 bucks for the evening and then went home to play poker. 
poker and lost $2,000 for the first time in my life. So it was like, that's a lot of babysitting, Rob. You know, that's a lot yeah. of babysitting. Uh, so, you know, I, uh, it was not, not really the most normal thing ever. There was, uh, there was a day when I was 19 and, uh, I distinctly remember playing a session. I had like a hundred thousand in my name at that point still. And, uh, I lost like 40,000 in the morning session, which is a lot. It was a lot. It was one of my biggest losses ever. And I went downstairs and told my mom that what had happened. And my mom is very tough and very stubborn and doesn't want to give an inch. You know, like if she, if she, if she had shown an inch of emotional upsetness, she knew that would make me happy somehow, or it was a really messed up thing, you know? And uh, so she was like, okay, whatever. And because she had given me such like a non-reaction, I just went back upstairs and ended up getting back to even that day. So there's not too many like stories like that that most 19 year olds get to say, but, uh, I had a weird upbringing to say the least. Okay. So. You've had a, a very long history with all of the internet poker. Now, at the same time, that's around like the real heyday of Survivor as well. Were you a Survivor yeah. fan all the way through? I wasn't a Survivor fan all the way through. You know, I, I started watching around, I think like, uh, I would say Pearl Islands, right? Okay. Somewhere in there. I think I started watching that. And then obviously once I got into it, I mean, there are so many, there are so many similarities between like the, the poker mindset and the Survivor mindset in terms of like the, you know, trying to make decisions that are not results oriented, trying to, you know, it's a game of incomplete information, much like poker. You know, I, I found a, a connection to Survivor very quickly and have watched every season since then probably multiple times actually it's actually funny i think pretty much i just went back to watch your first season i hadn't seen that just recently i'm like halfway through please no spoilers okay i, I won't I, give you I, any spoilers <laughs> i hope you get with heidi is all I, all I know at this point so i'm rooting for you kid yeah well <laughs> heidi now heidi ended up being the big winner of that season oh like damn look, look at the spoilers you're giving me well I, I i mean the big winner in that she's married to the pitcher i don't know how closely you follow baseball she's That's Married, uh, she's married to a pitcher on the Philadelphia Phillies who's made about $200 million in his baseball <laughs> career. So, so she was... A little more than you've made in your podcasting career. Yes, yeah, that, that was the equivalent of you going on party poker with five dollars. Uh, that was basically <laughs> what she was able to do with her survivor. Yeah. yeah. So you would say she ran it up pretty well, I guess. From that experience. <laughs> she, she ran it up. <laughs> she did good. Yeah. And awesome. uh, all right. So let's talk a little bit about the crossover between survivor and poker. And, you know, maybe let's see where it, where it goes from here. Yeah. Because I think it's an interesting Venn diagram, and I love to talk about the Venn diagrams of people who are fans of Survivor and people who are fans of poker, because there seems to be a very meaty cross-section of that, where there's a lot of people who are in the poker community who end up becoming big Survivor fans and ultimately a few Survivor contestants. Right. Well, you know, one of my closest friends in poker, one of my mentors, Daniel Negreanu, who is been a huge survivor fan forever and one of the biggest influences in my life he has talked to me so much about how what his ideal plan would be and you know he just uh, you know he 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 was a huge survivor fan and probably one of the biggest influences to make me a big survivor fan was you know becoming close with daniel and uh through him i got to meet boston rob and yeah. uh and uh from there it was obviously all over once you meet them how do you not become survivor fans you know so uh yeah you know so daniel obviously uh was a big survivor fan i met john Robert. i think before he actually went on uh, Survivor China. Uh, I met him before then, but uh, we weren't like friends or anything. And then I talked to him a little bit after that. And uh, and Garrett, who... uh, Gareth? Garrett? Garrett. Uh, 
Yeah, I, I hadn't met him, but I had heard of him like vaguely, you know, poker is kind of one of those weird communities where if you don't have like the right friends in the right places, you just never meet people. And so I had never actually met him or talked to him, uh, but uh, I had like, you know, known of him vaguely, you know, but uh, yeah, besides those guys, really, I guess uh, I don't think I know anybody else that's actually been on Survivor besides you, I guess now (laughs) latest addition to the pile. Now going back to Daniel, like his, you know, I guess, uh, claim to fame in the survivor world is also that in the Boston Rob reality TV series, which I'm drawing a blank on what it was called. It's like around the world. Is that that one? No, 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 not that, not that one that they actually did a a reality show that was on Fox reality channel of Robin Amber's life in Vegas. And there's some, there's some pun with gambling and Vegas. I'm sure that we can, (laughs) that I, I could look it up in a second and come up with what it was but in the tv show it was like you know it was sort of like a celebrity thing where it was like it was very you know similar in style to like the show with uh my fair brady where it was like robin amber living in vegas and boston rob would go and go play poker and learn poker from daniel Mm -hmm. and then meanwhile amber was like you know where's rob said he was gonna be home (laughs) at three o'clock where is he and so that you know like something like I love like love on the rocks or something, something like that, where it was like they were like, I I bet, I bet over a dozen people watched that show. (laughs) Yeah. It did only did one season. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Yeah, Sounds about right. But Daniel was, was one of the characters on that show. Okay. Well, Daniel, Dale does a lot of different things. No, I don't know if he actually could ever be on survivor because he's Canadian. Did they ever change that? No, no. Uh, so they'd have to change the rules for the Negreanu, the Negreanu rule. Hey, if Tyler Perry can have an idol, you know, Hey, maybe Negreanu can be on survivor. Who well, knows? I think one day eventually they'll do survivor Canada. Oh, they have never done one that has just had Canadians. Well, they did big brother Canada and amazing race Canada, but survivor right, hasn't right. done they haven't done Survivor Canada. My, what I'm really hoping is, uh, I, I'd love to host Survivor Canada. I feel like oh, man. that would be a good, <laughs> a good gig. That would be, that would be amazing. You would be great at that too. That By the be- way, the Boston Rob, uh, reality TV series was called, uh, Robin Amber Against the Odds on Fox uh. <laughs> Reality Channel in 2007. Do you think there might be a show Robin Jason Against the Odds one day? <laughs> I don't Maybe? know. So For tell Fox me, reality? what, what did you get? What did you do when you hung out with Boston Rob? Well, uh, he he had come out to Vegas, or maybe that was actually during the time he was out here to play the World Series, and was just uh, talking about hands. You know, there was like a little lounge area that we were all in. Not the hands. Summer. No, not hands. No, okay. I was talking about poker hands and uh, and uh, just you know he wanted help on things. And you know, obviously he's not the the best poker player in the world, but he has a good mind for it. You know, if he had spent if he spent time, he would be you know probably pretty competent, as I would imagine you would be as well. You ever played poker very much? I play it a little a little bit and i used to play it like online but you know i'm not good good enough to you know like around like 2004 when i kind of had nothing to do i yeah, was like the glorious <laughs> i was I, I would play a little bit like you know at nighttime and stuff like that but i never you know got got enough into it where i ended up being good at it God, if only you were friends with the 16 year olds back then, maybe uh, we could have risen to the poker, poker fame together. You know? <laughs> sure. You're only like an hour away from me. I was there forever. I well, grew up in Stony Brook. Yeah, you know, what I should have done was in 2003, I should have found you, given you any money I got from Survivor, <laughs> and said, go, to, go to town. 
Good luck, dudes. Let's think where we'd be right now. We might have our own reality show in Las Vegas. You never know. <laughs> we, we'd own Fox Reality Channel right now. <laughs> that's right. Poor Fox Reality Channel. Is that even a thing? No, it's, it's, it's over. It's over. Oh, that's sad. Um, so. so let's, let's talk a little bit about some of the, you know, the poker people who have made it into Survivor. And right. what I want to know is, does being a good poker player necessarily make you a good Survivor player? Man, I've given that a lot of thought, and I think that there are some things that poker players are naturally good at just because we have to experience it on a day-to-day basis, like uh, understanding variance, I think, is one of those things where if something happens to you that is abnormal, Rob, as a normal human being, you take that and go, wow, that's unlucky or crazy, or like, you have a way of perceiving that, but or maybe not you particularly, but an average civilian would have a way of perceiving that that I think is less than ideal for a survivor, and I think poker players have better mindsets understanding like the swings of things and how to make information and i think you know poker players are naturally able uh, or at least more capable of of detecting deception and projecting you know their own you know lack of tells because you know in poker you not only do you not not only do you want to make sure you absorb all the information you can off of your opponents but you don't want to give away any information either which is why tony's tony's ability to read people or at least you know comes off that way on the on the production you know tony seems like he's got a really sick ability to look at people like we saw that in the last episode when like tasha wasn't freaking out and you know he just made some interesting reads in the last couple episodes on things so i feel like poker players will have advantages in that way but man most poker players you know have trouble sitting in a chair for 12 hours sitting on an island for 37 days or whatever it is is uh i don't know that seems pretty tough man <laughs> so that seems like kind of a downer for most poker players yeah because this season we had Garrett, who spectacularly flamed out in the first night where it was the second tribal council and the guy had you know an idol (laughs) he had had an idol the guy is completely ripped and is a amazing physical specimen and also has this mind for poker where he's, you know, played a poker and won all this money. So obviously he has a strategic mind. He right. has this physical, this physical body, but apparently had nothing in the terms of a social game and was not able to avoid a blindside from, you know, Tasha, who we, it turned out to be a pretty good player. Yeah. Cass, sure. in hindsight, was kind of, you know, all over Cha- the place. Chaotic. Yeah. Chaos Cass. <laughs> yeah. And Jatia. You know, it's funny because if you had put, if I had shown you a picture of Garrett at the beginning of the season and said, what tribe do you think this guy is going to go on who has 0% body fat? Pretty sure most people would have thought he was going on brawn, you know, and if, I think if he had gone on there, he would have had a much easier experience, probably, I feel like. It would have been a totally different season, obviously, but uh, yeah, man, I don't know. I, I feel like uh, probably showing up with as low percent body fat as he did just can't be easy to like, how do you, how do you fuel that machine for for all those times for the time you're out there like I, I don't know that seems like not necessarily the the greatest idea he also said that he prepared for like 2,000 hours yeah. or something which I, I'm not really sure how you could do that I, mean, I, prepared, <laughs> I, I prepared 2,000 hours for this interview and that was easy I guess but like you know I don't know man 2,000 hours is a lot of time to be putting into Survivor I'm not really sure how you do that uh, I don't but, know maybe uh, d- does it double count like if you go for a run and you're listening to Rob as a podcast you get to count that as <laughs> double time that like like two hours if- I, I, maybe that's how he did that maybe he like charged overtime some multitasking that number, but 
but uh, you know, I, I I thought that a lot of the words that he said, uh, you know, sound very, you know, they they. I, I thought he had a generally a good mindset and everything. I just think like if you were going to put me in that situation, what I'd want to prepare for isn't really like the mental game or anything like that. I'd want to prepare for being in the elements for as long as it was, or to have at least you know trained in some. I don't think he went outside in any of his two thousand hours, and or at least it didn't seem like it. It seemed like he was all studying tape and like you know studying challenges and things like that and that to me just doesn't seem like it seems like you kind of missed the at least a, a some significant portion of the actual you know survivor experience you know what i mean yeah and i kind of feel like it would be very hard to train for survivor because i feel like the biggest part of survivor is the social element and i kind of feel like the best practice you could do for survivor is like you know going and like meeting like a bunch of people and like trying to sell them stuff like i kind of feel like that's that's sort of like the best way that you could do it like it's like there's like the stuff that you could learn in a classroom which is sort of like the okay when you're in a group of six and the blah 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 but i mean the game is so much of the social interaction and you know ultimately if you just get people to like you and are a likable person that's you know 75 percent of the game it's like interesting it's a very rare that people vote out somebody especially early on that they like it's right. like the whole first half of the game is mostly people like okay that person's sure. on my nerves that person you know is is a threat and somebody who I'm not getting along with also. It's like right. the threat is always like a justification for it. It's like there's very few votes that happen in the beginning of the game. It's like everybody's like, oh, we love this person so much, but they have to right. go, right. you know, with the exception of maybe in an all stars or something like that. So I kind sure. of feel like whatever some sort of uh, activity you could do that's like group building and, and making friends with, with people. And I, I don't really know how you practice that. Right. Basically, it's like the, like the going to third, you know, like the th- three year old preschool is like socializing with friends. It sounds like is what you're right. Like going go to like a new school or go into a new place and see if you right. can make, make friends and get them to make plans with you or do do some sort of activity with you. I feel like that's uh, the kinds of things that would be good be to practice. Helpful. And I'm not sure how you would do that. Right. Have you ever have you ever actually coached anybody before they went to Survivor? Uh, no, I've never really coached some somebody that I would gladly do it, but you know, I, I'm not sure exactly like what you know you would right. do. Like, I could I could basically right. sort of like talk somebody through. Here's what to look for, and here's the the ideas to to do sure. it. But again, it's a, it's a really difficult thing to prepare for prepare because for. Right. every like you can you know um, play you know at a I think poker is prob, and again, I could be, you know, talking out of my butt, but I think that, you know, the poker is more, you're able to recreate that environment easier as opposed to what the environment is going to be like in any given random survivor situation. Right. You know, a couple of years ago, uh, you know, the World Series of Poker main event decided to split their final, their their major main event tournament. You know, they get 7000 people. It's like the Super Bowl of poker. You put up $10,000. They decided to split the you know, you play the first the first nine or 10 days out during the summer. And then at the final nine, they actually pause for three months, show all the episodes on ESPN and then run that final table basically live on ESPN in November. So uh, a couple of years ago, I got hired by one of the guys that made the final table to coach him and prepare him for that final table. And we basically approached it the way that I prepare myself, you know, so we, 
we ran training camps and simulations and I brought in extra coaches and we prepared for all sorts of deviant, you know, circumstances as far as, you know, whether he started doing good early or bad early or whatever. And I actually thought uh, I really enjoyed that experience, you know, to prepare somebody like that into, into, you know, that's the closest I might ever come to that final table myself, given how big the field is. And uh, I don't know, I just found I really enjoyed that, that element of it. And I thought maybe there would be some similar element in, in Survivor with somebody like you who had done it before and, and who studied the game. But I guess it could be tough if the, if the personalities are what really kind of creates the the battlefield so to speak in your opinion right yeah it's a tough it's a tough thing to prepare for because you know even myself and you know i don't want to can i spoil all stars you, you saw it sure. right yeah so yeah. <laughs> e- even in, in myself when i was in that situation of okay i played survivor once and then i got to go back on survivor all stars and i got to say okay let me try to prepare for myself for what am i going to do for when i go back and i said okay well i need to get in the gym and i need to be getting i need to be you know stronger so i'm not such a disaster in the in the right, challenges right. and i'm going to try to read books and i'm going to read books on reading people and all the and all these things and i myself was not able to prepare myself for survivor a second time gotcha but surely you felt that your preparation for the second time was better than the first time you had surely got gained experience having done it once oh sure. you disagree with that D- yeah. certainly that i was definitely more prepared to play survivor the second time than i was uh, the first time and maybe that's one of those variance things where i just have to right. look at it and say well i was in cast with an unlucky lot of people um sure. in and the circumstances that that time and again it's you know what how much of it was luck and how much of it was you know did i was i outplayed or was it both right there there's a there's a concept from one of the best uh poker mindset coaches in in poker called uh, reciprocality which is the concept of like if there is anything that i do that my opponents do not do i am gaining an edge so let's let's say that we're both we both know we're going on survivor but i work out five days a week and you only work out three days a week so i'm having some sort of an that's a very basic example of an edge that i would have over you it could be also a thing like let's say we both go to a challenge and you know we both lose a close decision but for me I have zero emotional impact and I'm able to make good decisions but you're uh, a 10 out of 10 upset because you were so close and felt like you deserved it and so that that's another example of where I would have an edge because I'm still making perfectly logical decisions and you are not, you know, so I, I look at I look at like preparation through that lens and, and think about like all the things that we could do, you know, theoretically for both poker or survivor, you could kind of prepare that your opponents wouldn't be doing. But I'm not sure how much those edges actually like tally up in in terms of like what's that actually mean to you as far as your, your winning chances doesn't seem like you think is it's a super high number, at least. Well, it's it's hard. You know, it's there's been so there's only been 28 you know, American survivor season. So it's hard right. to have the data where the you can sort size. of, yeah, right. where we can sort of like say definitively how many times, like if you put things into a computer, how many times out of a thousand, right. you know, would each person win this uh, season? But back to what you were talking about with, you know, if everybody else is doing this and you're doing this, that you have an advantage. Now that's sort of like the John Nash sort of, uh, sure. idea that he had. Is that what Nash equilibrium? Is that what that's yeah. called? 
Yeah, right. It's a little bit of a different concept, but it, it is still kind of similar. I mean, uh, a lot, a lot of the the guy who I was talking about, his name is Tommy Angelo, who does some really great like poker learning stuff. He's he's a lot more about like mindset and like preparation as terms of like you know it's just uh, many number of, any number of things. You know, if you're at a poker table, Rob, and you know you get a phone call from from your wife that's telling you you know you're not you know you're just not been very productive lately. You need to get your life together. You know, I don't know. Is whatever. It, are you tapping say. my phone? <laughs> you know, I don't know what she would say. And, you know, that upsets you to a degree that makes you play worse. But I get that same phone call. And because I have no emotions, I just don't care. You know, that's that's great for a poker player <laughs> in that regard. Maybe not great for like, you know, relationship wise, but it's great at least for poker. So, yeah, you know, yeah, and, he and back to what you were saying about, you know, one person playing one way and everybody else playing another way bringing back to Boston Rob who ultimately should have won that season who ends up going all the way to the end he was the one person that season who was willing to play way more aggressive than anybody else like everybody else was sort of like feeling it out sort of like hey we're friends you know uh, I don't want to make I don't want to make a move to where I'm going to you know be able to screw myself and Boston Rob was the one guy who played that game you know 100 miles an hour from the get go and I think that was one of the advantages that he had in that game over anybody else was that he was the one guy willing to even that thing with Lex that famous famous thing that happened with Lex he was the one guy willing to say to somebody hey you know you take care of her I'll take care of you uh, and, and for Lex that was like a real thing of like okay this is my friend and Rob was the one guy who was willing to willing basically to slit that throat and right. be able to make that move and that was why he had such a big advantage in that game Right. Well, look at look at how many players through the course of like survivor history that you would think about who have who kind of played in ways that were a little unconventional. You being one of them. Right. You know, like I think that there are plenty of people who made like slight who just made like strategic decisions that made their season so much more interesting, not only from a television point of view, but also like, I don't know. One of the questions I was going to ask you actually was do the people like openly talk during uh, at least in your experience, do people tend to talk about like what they are looking for as jury members or like what they value or what they would like be leaning to vote for like do you think that at, at this uh, in our hypothetical final six with uh, Kagayan do you think that that like everybody kind of has a feel who would or wouldn't be voting for them on the jury at this point or is it kind of like uh, a mystery kind of thing to these guys it's kind of a mystery I think that going back to the thing I was starting to talk about with making friends with people Ultimately, every single vote that's ever been cast on the jury, that people vote for the person out of the two that they like the most. So, you know, and then all the other stuff is justification, I think. But people always vote for the person that they personally have the warmest feelings towards. And and then sometimes that's also that person played the best game. And also sometimes it's then, you know, there's some other justification of, you know, that person didn't do things the right way. So it's always through that that prism. Uh, Ultimately, you know, you also want to have a resume where it's like, I made this move. I played hard. I was, you know, I had a target on my back. I won this many uh, immunity challenges or I worked hard around the camp. So everybody can also sort of like back up their things with other stuff. But at the end of the day, it's always the person who has the best personal relationships with the majority of the jury that wins the game. 
So, so with that being said, do you feel like like Cass has any chance uh, or any like? What do you think of cha- of Cass's chances with this final six? She has pr- almost none. I mean, what would have to happen is she'd really. It would have to be some sort of a situation where you know she's up against you know Tony, and Tony is just like. The, the jury hates Tony now at this point. And right. they look at Wu as somebody who is just somebody who was Tony's uh, lapdog. Or Tr- they look at Trish as somebody right. who's Tony's lapdog. And so you can have a situation where it's like they hate Tony. They don't like, they look at Trish or Wu as somebody who just Tony dragged there and Cass, you know, somehow it wins like the last two immunity challenges or something unlikely where right. at least she endears herself to the jury and she gives some sort of a, you know, a great speech that sort of gets people, you know, back on her side. But again, she has not played a very good social game at all, Cass. Right. Do you think that this season potentially being a, a final two significantly helps Cass's chances? Because I, I couldn't figure out a final three that could l- allow for Cass to win. But in a final two, like maybe if she somehow if she somehow made it to the, to a final two, maybe there is some chance she actually has like her equity has to be way higher in a final two than the final three. Right. Yeah. Maybe her versus Tony. She would win if she somehow got there against, you know, or somebody know. like. Uh, a woo or a or a trish where you know they could she could argue that that person did nothing where it's somebody that maybe the jury's not crazy about and it, and it seems like that the jury members may actually like woo to the degree where they could give him the votes a la fabio but right. i feel like if it was just her against tony and tony pissed enough people off where she could sort of like paint herself as the anti tony candidate and right. we could have like maybe like a russell hansen natalie white type scenario right right that was that was in my in my opinion as just a, a humble viewer back then oh man that hurt me so bad when natalie won that season I, I don't know i understand you know later on in life but at the time i was like devastated that russell did not win that season i'm sure most people at least some people must have felt similar no a lot of people were there was a whole thing yeah. where i i mean i think people have sort of like forget about it because then the second season came and we, and we were so exposed to russell again but right. there was a whole thing where russell made a website russell got screwed.com oh, and really? <laughs> he and then he wanted to buy the championship from natalie white for ten thousand yeah, dollars the title he offered a hundred didn't he offer a hundred no i think it was t- i think it was it, ten and if she didn't t- if okay. she if she should have said yes yeah, um of course if she, yeah it's like okay fine you're the you're the champion now give me yeah. my ten thousand dollars it's like telling a three-year-old yeah yeah you can be champion i'll just take the million dollars <laughs> you'll be fine yeah and yeah. so I feel like that, you know, people were really upset about that. And we talked about this with uh, Richard Hatch in my in my last podcast on Thursday of that when Russell played a a second time and played a very similar game and and then got less votes the second time. I think where it was again uh, and Russell was a complete stranger to everybody. So two times in a row, Russell met a group of strangers and 39 days in a row, they were all pissed off at him and didn't want to vote for him. Like that, that can't in this game. That is not the winning strategy. 
Right. That's not the combination, I guess, I guess right there. But it's interesting because, you know, like they like obviously they like to mention the words Russell whenever they can. But they were talking about this last episode. Tasha and Cass were talking about how Tony is their Russell. And I was like, I don't really get that same vibe. Like, I I don't know. Maybe at camp, maybe they do or they're just saying that then. But to me, at least, it doesn't seem like he's, you know, even though he's obviously backstabbed Jeffra, backstabbed LJ. I don't get the feeling that he's quite as Russell-y as, you know they were maybe kind of saying how do you feel about that you know it's i i feel like the comparison is easy to make because they've both found idols they are not completely dissimilar in appearance and they have you know both made big moves but right. the, the difference between russell at least the first iteration of russell and tony is that russell stuck with his alliance of four the whole way through like russell was down in the numbers eight to four going right. into the merge in that season and he stuck with that four and never turned on any of them whereas right. tony has like really flopped around a lot with you know he's votes against his alliance and he comes back and gets back together with his alliance. So I don't think that's quite exactly the same. And also, Tony, to his credit, has not gotten into a lot of the personal attacks that Russell got into. Where there were with Russell, there was a lot of you know she's right. a bitch, is the dumb girls alliance, and you know he was like really got a little personal with some of the stuff. And Tony has been more lighthearted. I feel like. Right. Yeah. I mean, I've loved, I've been rooting for Tony since almost the beginning of the season. I've ever since you started doing a Tony impression, that was the end of it for me. I just have loved Tony ever since then. So <laughs> I, uh, I, I think Tony is one of the, one of the, one of my favorite characters on the season, but man, what a season this has been, it's by been the a way. Very fun season. Well, uh, I, one of the best. What I'd like to do is sort of take a look back at some of the big moments of the season and from your, point of view with the way that you look at probabilities and odds and stuff like that i would yep. love to sort of get just get your take on some of the big moments that happened in the season and where you thought things shifted let's do it Sounds okay good. well i guess i may tell me if you need to go to something earlier but let's go to when cass made her flip i i guess that was at final 11 right after the merge Okay, so what vote? What vote was that? That was the one where she they voted out. She oh, was. They voted out Sarah. So it was oh, right. Cass that was, was in the group of six. She right. switched over and formed a new group of six, and then they voted out Sarah. Well, you know, I mean, man, to me, to me, Cass, Cass's strategy this whole season hasn't seemed like perfectly um, like set for the long view, you know, because I'm not I'm not really sure that Cass ever. Well, I'm actually kind of curious. Do, do people, do most Survivor players like actually sit there and chart out what their path will be after the vote that they've that they're about to make? Like, in your opinion, do most do the average Survivor player and then I guess specifically Cass in this case, do you think that they actually will like sit and go, hmm, OK? Okay, so if I do this, what moves are opened up to me next? And then if I do this, what what moves are opened up to me then? Like, do people actually break down and make like decision trees as far as like what will be the consequences of their action? Should they make a blindside or a vote? Does that happen in your opinion? I'm sure some people do do that, but I got the sense from Cass's game this season that she's much more of playing a Sandra type game where she's just right. like, okay, as long as the person who's going home tonight isn't me, that's fine. 
Which is not, I guess, a terrible strategy, except for the fact that, I mean, I guess Sandra Sender did run Dubin twice, right? So I guess, you know, I can't, can't knock that strategy too hard, I guess. But, uh, yeah, I, I don't know, man. I, I, to me, it just feels like, it just feels like, uh, Cass's strategy this season just hasn't been very, like, forward thinking as far as like, okay, so you're going to do this, but you're going to make all these people dislike you more or not want to vote for you. And, you know, yeah, you're going to survive, but, you know, like, like you, like, like you guys talked about on, uh, no, at alls like it just didn't seem like she had very little path to win like spencer said to cast wasn't that that vote you know like you have no chance to win now i mean he's he's kind of right wasn't he like i mean it's it's very hard for her to to get back in the graces of those that she's now betrayed and you know when you look at the when you look at the at a potential final four of cast tony trish and woo how how does cast not see herself at the bottom of that four at this point you know what i mean like how uh, you know she, she's gonna have to perform really well in the final challenges or convince what Wu and Trish to flip on Tony. I don't even know. Her best chance is to go with Tony, but it was Tony going to take her now that they're arguing like crazy. I don't know, man. I just feel like Trish. Cons- uh, I feel like uh, Cass consistently just uh, doesn't. It doesn't seem like she's got a full plan mapped out to the to the end. You know, like no roadmap. I think that's that pretty much jives with what we've been uh, saying about her this season. Um, yeah. The idea of chaos in the game of Survivor, it's been way overused uh, this season. But does that is that a thing that actually exists in the poker world? Could you go into a poker game and say, I'm just going to cause like- chaos? Well, you know, it's funny because in in some sense it, it is actually good, but I would say I would say that uh, it, like let's say we're, we're playing a poker game and I sit down and it's just like a normal poker game and everyone is just playing their normal game. In that in that scenario, everybody is comfortable because they they're familiar, right? They know what they're going to expect. No one's going to do anything too out of line. Everything is like normal and they're all just relaxed. In that in that environment, people are making their absolute best decisions, right? Because they're comfortable, they're it's normal, it's fine. But let's say I get in there and start mixing it up and start playing every single hand or I start talking a lot or, you know, I'm just playing hands abnormally. I'm making big bets. I'm making big raises or, you know, whatever it is, but I'm changing the element of the game. Well, all of a sudden the dynamic is shifting and it's, it's, it's something that's being, it's able to be exploited because all of a sudden we're in a scenario where I'm the one driving the game. I'm the initiator. People are adapting to me. Some people's adaptations will be incorrect and I can exploit that. Some of them will be over adjusting. Like there's a strategy that Daniel Negreanu actually was the first to really pioneer in uh, min raising and making a minimum raise on the button when it was folded to him he would make the smallest possible raise and in order to give himself the best possible price to win the blinds and annies and when he started doing that people were like oh I don't really know what this is going to really accomplish like it's just like he's playing a lot of hands but it's not going to work out well well what was happening was when he was doing this some people were, were, were taking were taking a strategy of defending every single hand like literally the worst hand in poker seven deuce or better they were just just like they were like wildly over adjusting to his strategy and some people weren't adjusting at all and were just playing just as tight and and not adjusting to the new math of him of him making such a small raise and basically through that basic principle of risking a small amount to win you know to be constantly aggressive and to constantly put pressure on his opponents Daniel made what what did he make in 2007 or 2006 whatever year it was he started doing it he made like five or eight million dollars or something like that and just crushed live poker purely from basically that decision 
decision to start using this min raise tactic very aggressively. And I feel like that's just, it's just like, you know, you're changing the dynamic of the game. And in Survivor, I think Chaos definitely does that. But when you don't really have like a huge experience edge over your opponents, like if you don't really have it like planned out as far as like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to act really chaotic so that Tony starts to freak out and maybe I can use that chaos to make this thing happen. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't seem designed enough to, to be a strategy. Whereas in poker, I feel like the real smart players can kind of design what their strategy is going to elicit from, from their opponents and then can develop a strategy around that. Does that make sense yeah absolutely and i bet that min raise idea probably got under the skin of a lot of people that daniel played with and because then it's an annoyance to them that oh here he's gonna do it again again and 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 that gets them off their game Right, exactly. And, you know, that's only a small example of all the things you can do. You know, you can show people bluffs, you know what I mean, that you would never, you don't have to show. You could, like, you know, bluff somebody and show them them what you have, making them, you know, maybe play differently or get upset or whatever it is. You know, there's always ways to inject that that chaos. But, you know, in my opinion, if you're not ready to harvest the the chaos, then it's like, you know, what kind of Lannister are you, really? (laughs) You know what I mean? You need to be ready to harvest that, you know? So, I don't know if Cass has been, uh, I don't know if Cass is ready for the Lannister family, basically. I guess. <laughs> what we're saying here. Let's let's, let's hope not. Um, let's hope not. Okay, so how about Tony? And Tony made a couple of big moves along the way. Notably, after right. the merge, he makes the move to vote out LJ, and yep. then two weeks later, makes the move to vote out Jeffra. Now, I feel like the LJ one is probably less controversial because that was the big dog in the game. Do you want to touch on that real sure. quick? Yeah, you know, like I think I think, you know, we were we were all pretty pretty heavy on LJ. You know, he seemed like he had a, a good strategy. Like you said, as far as being likable, he certainly came off likable to me. You know, uh he he seemed like he was, you know, on on a pretty steady track that needed to be eliminated at some point. You know, if he wasn't eliminated then, how much longer are you gonna go with him? Like, you know, I, I don't know. It seemed to me at that point Jeremiah and Jeff were both still in who would have supported LJ probably. Right? Jeremiah and LJ were were kind of close, weren't they? Well, they were certainly before the merge, but I think it's unclear whether or not they had any opportunity to get back together. It seems like that there was definitely a rift between those guys. Yeah, there was. Yeah, it it didn't seem like Jeremiah got a ton of uh, a ton of TV time as far as to explore the inner workings of of Jeremiah. He did not. Yeah, I, I'm not quite sure what that would have been like. But yeah, I think the LJ one is, is pretty pretty reasonable. The Jeffer one, though, I'm still not really sure just how I feel about that because, you know, one time is, uh, you know, is just a one-time thing. Two times is starting to be a pattern. Like, now Tony's done this twice and, you know, Jeffra, old sweet little Jeffra, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. She she didn't really deserve anything. Tony wasn't really quite, you know, they kind of portrayed Tony as a little over-paranoid maybe. And, uh... I, I don't know, man. I, I'm kind of, I kind of, I'm still not really sure how I feel about about the whole Jeffra thing. Also, the fact that he didn't tell like Trish. I thought Trish was his closest ally. Why wouldn't he tell Trish? Right? Didn't he keep it entirely secret from Trish and Cass at that point? He did, and that was, I guess, at the final seven. So Tony had the alliance of five, and then yep. plus Tasha plus Spencer, and right. so he decides to have him and Wu go ahead and vote with. Spencer and Tasha and they have a they vote four votes for Jeffra and then Jeffra and Cass and Trish uh, put their three votes on I forget I guess it was Spencer so I mean like 
is there, in your opinion, is there some sort of maybe alternate strategy here where Tony still makes the same move, but does so without isolating Cass and, uh, and maybe, maybe he like Cass and Trish, like maybe he like keeps them in the loop somehow and just takes those four and says, I think Jeffra's aligning with, uh, Spencer and Tosh and maybe we need to, like, I don't know. Do you feel like by, by doing it out of his alliance and by bringing in Spencer and Tosh, it's like unnecessarily chaotic and maybe isolates Cass and, and Trish to a degree that makes him harder to vote for if they're on the jury or, you know, does that, does any of that sound like it might be a, a thing to you or what? Well, the thing that we have to remember is that Tony is also operating under the incorrect information that there's a woman's alliance that's formed. So that's in right. Tony's mind, he's like, Look, I got to vote out all of the women because the women have the women's alliance. And if I don't vote them out, then they're going to come for me next. So he's got he's yeah. got to go ahead and not tell the women. because. But the thing that and I don't think I've ever talked about this on the show where somebody said this to me on Twitter. Shouldn't it have been a red flag for Tony that there was no women's alliance considering the fact that Tasha was willing to vote with him and right. vote against the women's alliance? <laughs> right. <laughs> like. Um, uh, that yeah, no should red, have tipped him off. Yeah, that, no red flags there, I guess, huh? That the women were all, <laughs> you know, I guess, I, I so I don't know. So, yeah. you know, it's like, again, Tony is somebody who definitely has these skills where he's able to not only just read people incredibly well, he's also able to come up with really intricate lies and deceive people really well, except when he's talking about things that happen at his sleepover parties. Right. But, <laughs> but yeah. other than that, so he's able to lie, like it basically he can bluff I- incredibly well and read bluffs incredibly well, but there's other parts of his game that are lacking right and you know he he has not been a hundred percent right he was he was incorrect with uh something that he said in the last episode oh worried about how tosh has some idol or something because she wasn't scrambling you know even though she had nothing and had no chance i guess you know so uh you know he had read tasha's maybe something suspicious going on there when there when there really wasn't how how did you feel about Wu's lie last episode when he came back from oh, the, well, that was terrible just uh, one quick thing on the ta- on the tasha thing though but he yeah, was sure. he was right that tasha felt safe because tasha not that she had an idol she thought that she had Cass and Wu voting with her so he did correctly read that why isn't she acting the same way she should be acting because she's not scrambling but do you do you really think that like in your and you you probably have a much better idea of me than than I do? But you know, to me, like I I left that whole segment as as Wu being like okay, probably probably like you know even if he says yes, do you just, does does Tosh really walk away from that being like yep, this is a for sure thing? Like we're we're definitely doing this two 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 vote thing. Like do you do you yeah. really think that Tosh is like walking around like feeling herself like oh yeah, we're doing this thing tonight? Yeah, she's got to be like at least some percent sure that that's not the case right well like last week where tony made the deal with spencer and spencer was still out looking for the idol like exactly right and so um yeah tasha seemed to feel pretty good about it i i don't remember you guys talking about that in your exit interview if she actually was like surprised because you know at the actual tribal council cast cast is like it's a good night for blind side like she says (laughs) that's not a cast impression by the way (laughs) you know i did better than that but you know she said something to that degree and it was just like well why would you say that Uh, you know who are you deceiving or you know what's the point of saying that besides just being chaotic which i guess is her native way of being but well my thought was that she was trying to get tony to play his idol i 
think she I, wanted Tony right. to think that they were that they were going to vote against him. But even though if that was the case, I think that's a terrible strategy to make your allies think you're conspiring against them, whether right. you are or you aren't. Like <laughs> you don't want the, your allies to think you're working against them. Right. Uh, so exactly. So uh, that was the only thing that I thought was that maybe she's trying to bluff the idol off of Tony. But if that's the case, like he's going to come back from this and just be like, well, I don't know. I now I don't trust Cass really. And he's much closer with Wu and Trish, obviously. And he, no one can beat Spencer, I think, at the at a final two or final three. I think he's obviously yeah. got a lot of friends in the jury. So Cass all of a sudden becomes this uh, kind of weird exile where, you know, I don't know. I just do you think do you think that Trish has any chance of winning if she was up against like a like a Spencer Cass, you know, combination final three like she can't I, beat Spencer. So take Spencer out of the mix. But I do think that she could win against like, say, Tony and Cass or Tony and Wu or Wu or Wu and Cass. I do think that she has a chance. You know, because Trish, Trish, and for like in the middle stages of the season, I was really rooting for she her. Like ever since uh, the the L name girl Lindsay, right? Ever since that whole, ever since that whole meltdown where that Lindsay girl just quit or whatever, that that Trish kind of you know facilitated that whole thing happening. Like uh, I thought Trish had had looked really well since since then. But uh, yeah, I don't know. Last few episodes, she's kind of also not really been super super present. Hasn't felt. I want to get your opinion on this Tyler Perry idol, and I want to see if there's a poker equivalent to this. I mean, right. I, my, <laughs> I, I w- would this just be like if Tony is at the table and just has like a huge stack, and everybody else had, does not have that much, that many chips in front of them? Yeah. Is that the equivalent of the Tyler Perry idol? You know, man, it, it, it seems so overpowered to me. Like the definition, the definition of overpowered in in gaming is that something that doesn't have either uh, equal or reasonable counterplay, right? And this is the definition of no counterplay because you're playing it after the votes are read. So you know, there there really is not a ton of maneuverability around it, which makes it kind of not like a super fun mechanic. You know, like I mean, I, I, I obviously you know I saw the season where Yule won with this basically the same idol, right? And he just managed to carry himself to the end with it and uh i don't know man it just removes that it kind of removes the element of drama because you know once tony found that idol it's like oh well okay i guess tony's we get to watch tony do whatever he wants for a few weeks which is cool but uh, i don't know man it just it seems to me like it's just too 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 strong and there could have been a, a like a less powerful version of the idol maybe or I don't know something that had a little bit more strategic play to it than than this one, which is basically just going to be like a ha ha gotcha not going home now. You know, I don't know. That doesn't seem like a particularly fun mechanic. Now, do you feel like with this advantage, do you feel like that Tony has played with it correctly? Because to me, it seems like he's almost been like more paranoid and more nervous where I kind of feel like having this idol. I think I would be much more relaxed and calm in the game knowing that I can't go home. Right, like the dawn of the game, you would feel like like you get to kind of decide almost if you're quite calm enough. And he has two idols. Right. Yeah. So uh, I I don't know, man. I I feel like I feel like it's a tough situation, but he already has the numbers. He had the alliance. I think maybe it might have inspired him to be more chaotic because he can do these things and feel no risk at doing it. When did he find it? Did he find it last week or the week before? He found the third idol, I think, last week. And then uh, the week before he found the Tyler Perry idol. 
Right. It was uh right. It was the the week of the of the auction, I think, right? Was that the one that he found it? Anyway, w- w- whatever. So yeah, I think uh I think that uh he he seems like he's played a pretty good game all things considered. You know, there are some times where I wasn't sure if he was going to go home or whatever. He survived the, you know, the merge pretty well. I don't know, man. I, I feel like Tony's played a pretty good game all things considered. He's obviously run really hot as I can't imagine that it's too easy to find these clueless idols. But uh, you know, He's been he's been great to watch, and I think he's played a, a pretty good game so far. I, I had a question for you. So you had asked you had asked Tosh, and she had no idea what the special idol was, right? She didn't know what the powers were. She she had no idea, which I guess probably means that nobody really had a clue what they were, except for maybe Tony, right? But do you think that Tony knew when? He, when he was last able to play it like is there a like a detailed terms and conditions that comes along with the idol like do they, do they is this, does Tony have somehow full knowledge of how he can use that idol I think what happens is you know you have the idol and you can go and ask the producer who's there and right. there's, sort of, there's sort of like a producer and they sort of like have like a changing of the guard every three days there's a couple of producers that work on the show and right. so basically there's a producer who's basically running everything for those three days and you can ask them questions like hey can i can i do this can i do that and they'll either say no that you can't do that or you can do that or let me get back to you or right. i can't tell you that and right. so in my particular season there was a point i won't spoil anything but there were, we were that, <laughs> that's okay, that's okay. We, we were asking about some tie break situations and they were like well we can't tell you how the tie breaks and I'm like you can't tell me um right. <laughs> and so like well, what kind of game is this yeah uh, yeah and so I think that Tony would probably go and ask them and then they would come back and say, okay, you can play it up until a certain point. So he, right. I would imagine that he knows what the limitations are. But in the instance of like last week where it was like, okay, if it's a tie vote, when do I get to play this? And you know, that's the kind of thing where they might say to him, well, okay, well, you know, Jeff will tell you a tribal council. Right. Yeah. You know, uh, yeah, I guess that makes sense, you know, because it would probably be way too, it'd be even more ridiculous if they were like, yeah, you can play this all the way down to the final three or something like that. And he'd be like, what? Like, you know, I feel like they might give away like some crazy amount of, of information there, I guess, if they told him like his, what the exact rules were maybe. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I feel like, I feel like I wish there was some sort of way you could ask a bunch of different questions for like, I don't know. I feel like as uh, from like a, a, a hardcore fans perspective, I have so many little questions about rules on things that I'm just like, I wonder if you could do this or like, I wonder if they know about, you know, cause it seems so weird to me that you all could be playing this game without understanding. Like they have no idea that there's this, that this idol that you can play after the vote in all the seasons of survivor, all the twists have been pretty, pretty open, right? It's been exile Island. They knew about that in advance redemption Island, right? They've known about all of these when they signed up, but somehow this idol wasn't disclosed. Before. Yeah, that's a fair point. It's a little big brothery to use that as an adjective because we very rarely on Survivor have seen something where it's like, okay, one person has a special power in the game and the other people don't know that it even exists. Right. You know, I mean, to me, to me, as somebody who always values the idea of counterplay, you know, play, play and reaction, you know, like, like chess, you know what I mean? There's, there's nothing overpowered in chess, or as far as I know, you know, maybe Spencer knows, you can, you can ask him, but you know, I, I think, uh, I don't know, man, I just find it not really that fun as a viewer that there can be a thing like this where they can just be like, yeah, you know, uh, I don't know. It's, it's a little one-sided, I think. Okay. So who is going to win this season in your opinion? 
Well, I think we both agree that if Spencer can manage to get himself there, that he is probably going to win. He probably picks up. I mean, how does he not pick up Jeffra, Jeffra, Tasha, probably LJ, right? Depending, I guess, who the, who they go against. But I don't know how Spence doesn't scoop uh, against any combination, right? I mean, Sarah Morgan, LJ, Jeremiah, Jeffra, Tasha. I don't think anybody in there, I don't think that there's a combination of, of people that will vote not for Spencer, right? Surely you agree with me on that. Yeah, I don't think he can lose if he gets to the end. Right. I don't think he has great chances of getting to the end, but I think if he gets there, then then he wins. If you put if you put Cass in the end, again, I think we've, we talked about that before. I feel like her chances aren't great. So it comes down to Tony, Trish, and Wu. I, you know, like you said, maybe Wu Natalie's it up and just gets there and is just like, hey, I'm a nice guy. I do a really great spinning jump kick and uh, I can backflip like a boss, you know, on demand on a stage in the middle of the Philippines or wherever it is they are. You know, I mean, hey, maybe he can do a backflip for them, do some karate tricks for the jury. Maybe he can uh, win the vote that way. I'm sure. Not- now, but, uh, <laughs> Jason, I know you are into the uh, martial arts. Were you impressed with Wu's skills this week? Hey, man, anybody that can do a backflip on command like that deserves some respect. Not really. Especially after arts, like 32 but, days of Survivor also. Right. 32 days of rice and, you know, like snails. And he's just, you know, backflip, spin, jump kicks. No big deal. I mean, that's pretty amazing. I don't know. I, I actually thought that was really nice. Did you not like that segment? Did it melt your icy heart? A little bit, <laughs> a little bit, a little a little bit, bit. but not, not too much. I was like, OK, let's get back to the uh, strategy talk. Yeah. Anyway. So, uh, yeah, you know, I, I think that I think that Trish and Tony have the best have the most realistic chance of winning you know I, I i it's hard for me to tell just how uh nasty that like sarah and lj feel about about tony right and jeffrey too like i i don't i don't quite know you know like how much like let's say tony and trish both make the final two right yeah i'm not sure if lj and sarah hold hold a grudge and are just like you know this guy basically screwed us out of of you know being in the game and uh you know well, i don't know but i would do just um not paint those two with the same brush because Tony didn't turn his back on Sarah only if in the top five baby sense of it, it was, right. it was Cass that flipped on Sarah. I on mean, Sarah. Sarah was already, already going with the other guys. Now she might say, sure. well, I had to go with them because you already flipped on me before the merge and you had a top five alliance with those other people. And we said we were cops are us. So she right. might, she might look at it that way. But I think that, her scorn is is more towards Cass, but Cass. Cass was the one that flipped on her. Right in that in that merge episode where where Sarah was voted out, I had got the feeling that like her and Tony had kind of like I don't know the the bloom was off the rose kind oh, of. Oh, it was off the rose, but I don't think yeah. she necessarily looks at Tony as Tony is the reason I'm out of the game. And I think she definitely feels like Cass is the reason I'm out of the game. And even somebody sure. like Morgan, I think she hates Cass more than she may dislike Tony. Right. You know, when, when I'm looking at this, like, I, I don't really know how many of these guys really feel like super negatively towards Tony besides maybe Jeffra and LJ. Jeffra. I think LJ and Jeffra, those are the two that are the most negative towards Tony. Sure. Right. So, you know, let's say let's say that it is a final two and it is Tony and Trish. So if you said that if you said that LJ and Jeffra are for sure not going for Tony. Right. Right. And so this means that Spence and Cass are both on the jury. Mm-hmm. Right. There's no way there's no way that Cass ever votes for for Tony either, right? There's no way. So Well, probably not, but I saw in the commercial for this week that Tr- Trish is yelling at Cass this week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, who knows? Who knows, I guess. I mean, anything can happen obviously. It's 2 weeks out, you know, or is it 2 weeks or 1 week? So this is the the this week's episode and then the finale is going to be the on Wednesday, 3-hour finale on or 2-hour finale and reunion show. 
Wow. Are you doing a show after all that? Sure. I got to. Oh, amazing. You know, it sucks. Us West Coast kids. I got to watch it, you know, three hours after everybody else. I just, you know, us Vegas kids don't always get the best of everything. I guess we have Robin Amner if we ever want to have that, I guess. Yeah. Well, if you want to watch it on TV, I I could talk to you about some ways if you want to, if if you can't wait to watch it, there's, there are ways to watch it online. I believe, I believe that. I believe that. Internet is a wonderful thing. People make millions of dollars on the internet, Rob, if you can believe it. Playing games. (laughs) Who Who knew? I mean, do you ha- do your parents still live on Long Island? Yep, my parents live out in Miller Place. Actually, you know, I still got a place in Stony Brook myself. I come out there every like three months or so, something like that. Yeah, I mean, that's what I, what I do. I have a sling box at my parents' house in uh, the basement. So that's you know, I'm watching West uh, East Coast Survivor, and I'm I live in California. Oh, really? I thought you were still on Long Island. No, I'm I'm on the West Coast, and I just podcast on East Coast times. Oh, I did not know that. Wow. Uh, is that is that a secret? Is that an exclusive secret? Is the world's eyes now being opened? To no, I th- I mean I, I think I've talked about it a little, probably not in this much detail, but no, right, not a secret. Right. I don't think I'm breaking any laws. Cool. Yeah. Well, I guess I got to consider doing that. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's been. I, I don't know, man. I I feel like I feel like Tony definitely has. I, I don't think this jury is the type that is going to necessarily discard Tony for all the craziness that he did. I think that they'll respect his decisions. Like he was entertaining. He probably made good connections with these guys. You know, if you saw him talking to Spence and uh, and Wu when he pretend, you know, when he supposedly called Cass a, a bitch the other day, if you remember that, uh, allegedly. You know, Allegedly, which wasn't caught by production, at least, if nothing else. So, uh, you know, I, I, I don't know. Like, Spence, Spence in that conversation was like, man, Tony's a good guy. Tony has good stories. You know, like, he was, you know, Spencer was saying good things about, about Tony. And I kind of feel like probably at least everybody has some general feel of that. I don't know. Yeah. How do you feel about it? You think that's, is that crazy? Well, one, I like that you are so close with Spencer that you call him Spence. I like that. <laughs> yeah, you and know, we're boys. What can I say? Again, unlike Russell Hans, who everybody on the other side hated Russell Hans's guts. There wasn't anybody who had, you know, nice things right. to say about Russell from the, from the other side, except for maybe uh, John Fincher and Shambo. Then, right. you know, there are people who certainly see Tony's charm and so I think that's why he has a pretty good shot to win this if he can get to the end without Spencer. Do you do you believe is is it a thing in Survivor this this concept of like jury toxification like if you have one person oh, sure. who really hates you right they 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 pollute the jury pool right Oh it happens I mean right. I'm trying to think of the scenario but you know there's definitely people who can you know pollute the jury and there are lots of survivors who say that the jury needs to be sequestered you need to right. keep everybody you know separate so they're not talking to each other because that's when you know they say okay we well, should do this you hear what this person said they could make up lies they could say sure sure uh, you know all of this stuff so it's it's definitely uh, a thing that happens on you know there's no pure jury system unfortunately right well i mean at least in this case looking at the sarah morgan lj jeremiah jeffra tasha nobody on that on that jury to me probably has any kind of like hatred towards tony that they're like you know spreading the gospel of the hatred of tony or anything out in ponderosa you know it seems it seems to me at least like uh there's nobody out there that's too hateful so that's bodes well for his chances i think i think that if you're gonna blindside people like the strong silent type like lj is probably a good person to to blindside because he's not gonna be like super gossipy as opposed (laughs) to like somebody like a morgan who's just gonna gonna be like all day like oh my god did you hear about tony Um, (laughs) so that's probably a good way to go 
How how do you feel about the fact that you know we're talking about this final two here with uh, with our, our our matchup here? How do you feel about the fact that Cass mentioned the final two at Tribal Council last week? Like, does that does that like did that seem odd to you that that was the first time that I think it had been mentioned in the whole season? Like, why would Cass mention that now unless they had said something or it's like definitely odd? And you know, it's really a mystery because traditionally for the last for however long ten ten seasons ten right? seasons or whatever yeah the last final two was in survivor token sheens which was 18 this is 20 this is 28 this season there's only five people left in the game and now there's going to be an episode this week and we're going to get down to four so we're going to go into the finale with four people now in survivor philippines they did a thing where okay we're going to have a challenge before the final four challenge which is going to be an advantage in the final four challenge so they did a challenge where malcolm won and malcolm won an advantage in the final four immunity challenge which ultimately he did not win (laughs) so <laughs> the advantage, advantage. Did, did not even help. So I kind of felt like a lot of people said like, okay, well, this was kind of, you know, a whole lot of nothing. I don't know why we did that. So right. either we're going to go into the final episode and have a challenge before the challenge. We're going to have a challenge for an advantage in the challenge, or we're going to get down to a final two. So I'm not sure. sure. Somebody but- forwarded me that TV guide had the TV listing for the description for the finale. And in the TV guide description, it was called a final three. I'm not sure hmm. if that's a, you know, if somebody is just assuming or right. that's actually gospel. Right. But the fact that the fact that that Cass would say that, like, it's definitely struck me as as a bit of a, an odd thing for her to just like come up and say of all things, you know. But uh, yeah, yeah, I don't know. Definitely. It's, it's weird. It's kind of weird that, that that's not I guess it's part of the, that is actually at least more of a of a of a fair twist and that they're all being equally twisted with that if that was the case, you know, but uh yeah, I like that more than the the Tyler Perry super idol. If there was a if there was a Rob Sesternino super idol, what what would your idol be powered by? Well, I was thinking I was thinking about this idea <laughs> recently, and I kind of like the idea of if I have this power, I get two votes. Uh, that hmm. you know, if I'm in the majority, that really screws things up. But I kind of feel like that somebody, if it's in the minority, the double decker idol or whatever, to right. somehow <laughs> get two votes. And maybe they're not two of the same votes. Maybe I can put one vote on this person, one vote on this person. Right, and so right. I kind of feel like that might be. I don't know how it would necessarily like if you would just like un un open it up and you'd have like another parchment in right, the right. idol. But I feel like there might be something fun with that. That seems kind of interesting. That I, I hadn't thought about that kind of like vote impact. Like somehow you could like remove someone else's ability to vote for a, a night or something or like block, that. Mute or block somebody. Right. Yeah. Right. So that that to me seems a little more interesting, especially if you do that before the vote, because then it's like never been done before. Completely different. You know, there's uh, so many different angles of gameplay, and uh, you know they've done a good job of refining elements over the over the course of time. Like you know, uh, Redemption Island. I thought never was a huge fan of that mechanic, but you know, by the t- they, they did a decent job with it and they developed it. I think as as time went on, they improved, you know, they, they do seem to improve these mechanics, I guess, once they deploy. And, uh, I don't know, to me, that'd be a whole new world of, of, you know, voting hijinks. Yeah, you know, hopefully survivor is just, this is just the early days, you know, it continues to evolve and they get rid of the Tyler Perry idol and move on from here. That's right. The, the early days, season 30, <laughs> the, early, the early days, you know, let me That's, ask you some questions. I bet I got a lot of questions from listeners of Rob is the podcast who were very excited to have you on Matt Holtzclaw, who is a uh, loves poker. 
He okay. says he wants to know how entertaining or boring does Jason think a season full of nothing but game theory poker player types would be? Does the uh, show require <laughs> the Jatias and the woos of the world to truly function properly? Okay, so if we right. had a whole season where it was all Jason Somervilles, would would that be a good <laughs> season or a bad season? Well, I got to tell you something, okay? the I, I would not put myself with the pile of people who are just boring game theorists, okay? Like, I, I actually think that one of the worst things about my generation of poker players is that a lot of these kids my age took it for granted. You know, the guys that are, are a generation older than us, you know, they had to sit and grind in live games. They had to kind of like build poker. They kind of looked at themselves as almost like mobile casinos. That it was their job to make a fun, entertaining experience for whoever it was that they were playing while they took their money. But my generation avoided that first part and just took to the take their money part without any of the like fun personality, energy, or whatever. And I think if you took like 16 of the smartest poker wizards, put them on an island and had them play Survivor, it would be excellent TV, but also probably one of the most awkward things you had ever seen in your life. You know, like the, the social element would just be absolutely hilariously horrendous. Um, but it would be some brilliant moves. That's, that's for sure. It would be, it would make for an interesting season. That's, that's for sure. Okay. Luke Rhinoha wants to know both Rob has a podcast and run it up. Use a bell during podcast coincidence right. or conspiracy what how, how do you use the bell oh i have a i have a little bink bell here as i like to call it so whenever i suck out on somebody in a in a poker stream so if i get it in my money in bad and get there i just go you know I just have a little bink bell that's just it we just have a little bink bell we just hit it off that's yeah what we do. i, I tend actually- to use it more uh to punctuate a joke or you know if somebody is uh correct don't you use it when you introduce people to? Oh yeah, I tend to. Yeah, I'll yeah, do that. Don't worry, I'm a long time viewer. Okay, come on, I know these things. Don't try to sneak that by me. I, I hear the bell. <laughs> yeah, don't worry. And some people have accused me of being like, "Oh, you ripped off a bell off of blah 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 blah." I'm like, it's radio. Like this right. is we. This is not reinventing the wheel to have a bell <laughs> on radio. <laughs> yeah, you're, we're not. N- neither one of us are really innovating with the bell thing. You know, <laughs> Craig Ferguson uses the bell brilliantly. I'm not sure if you're Craig. Ferguson. Ferguson fan, but uh, he uses his bell, and it's like the second the second time he rings the bell, he has to speak in a German accent, and then the, it's a whole thing he had for for many months. He had a whole routine with it. I don't know. It's just. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, this probably got invented in like 1920 to have a bell on the radio. <laughs> right. Literally, literally like during World War One, they were using a bell for something. I'm sure. Sure. Hey, you know, uh, you know, the reason why we I first uh, found your show was through a fan of yours who was also a fan of mine who uh, who said that you do these awesome shows all the time. I had to watch it was like crazy. And he was like, yeah, you got to check this guy out. So I started I started watching watching your shows. And that fan, I guess that was now like four months ago or something like that. That that fan ended up winning like thirty six thousand dollars in a ten dollar investment for a poker tournament like last week. I think we uh, he tweeted you and me. Yes, right? yeah. oh, I had no oh, I had no idea. Yeah, that was the guy that first uh, <laughs> well, showed me the light of Rob Sesternino. Th- that was a good omen that um, that thirty six thousand dollars was the universe telling uh, him that was a, gr- a great job to get us <laughs> it together. 
it was a karmic reward for for making it happen. That's right. Wow. <laughs> wow. Um, here's one from uh, Kaz Kazdrowski, and he wants to know. I know we're, we're running uh, starting to run short on time, so let me ask you just uh, one part of his multi part question. He wants to know: uh, Do you think that Garrett got a bit unlucky with the way things worked out? Back to that whole idea of variance in the beginning. Sure. Did Garrett get unlucky, or was he not quite as ready as he thought he was for this game? You know, I think it's a combination of, you know, he was on a tribe that was not necessarily like set for success. You know what I mean? Like looking what we know now, even with Jatia and Cass, they voted out the baseball owner very quickly. So he wasn't, you know, even around at that point. But, you know, he, he didn't exactly have the, the best army to do, uh, to do work with. You know what I mean? Like I, I think we had said before, if they had put him on brawn instead of brains, you know, which, which he clearly could have fit into, you know what I mean? Uh, I, I think we would have seen an entirely different season and perhaps an entirely different result. And, you know, I think he definitely has a good mindset for the game. Clearly, he's a smart guy. Clearly, he's, you know, he's, you know, well-spoken. I'm not sure how he would have handled the social stuff. He did seem like he didn't quite, you know, the whole thing about not wanting to strategize and whatever else. You know, I, I don't know how he would have done in the long run. But uh, I definitely think there's a combination of not quite preparing for like the correct things as you, you and I talked about before. You know, it's hard to prepare, but I don't know if he prepared on the right things and got unlucky. I think it's a combination of the both of the two. OK, Mike Bloom wants to know, how does Jason compare bluffing in poker with the different plays of the hidden immunity idol? Now, we talk about this a lot of, you know, should you tell people you have the idol? Should you wear the idol around your neck right. in tribal council? Would anybody ever have the balls to vote for somebody who is wearing the immunity idol around their neck? Should you wear it and then give it to somebody else? So is is that sort of the same sort of thinking as bluffing in poker? Right. I, I definitely think that there are similar elements of psychology involved with both. That's for sure. You know, when uh, this season, I think the most interesting uh, idle bluff scenario, assuming that you had 100% trust and that your partner in this wouldn't deceive you, I think Spencer and Jeremiah had a chance where if if Spencer had, say, given the idol to Jeremiah to wear and then had Jeremiah play the idol back on Spencer, even though Spencer played it on himself and wore it himself, played it on himself, or I think he wore it, didn't he, for that travel account? But, uh, you know, I, I, he, he ended up playing it on himself. If, if Jeremiah had just walked in with it on, it might create an element of, of chaos at that. Uh, at ah, that. chaos. Chaos, that's right. And he can harvest it like a proper Lannister. <laughs> he, he can harvest it and do work with it if he, you know, assuming that Jeremiah and Spence, as we're calling him, assuming his Jeremiah and Spence are, you know, on the same page of that Jeremiah is not going to just be like, all right, sorry, sorry, bro. I'm going to just put this on myself now see you later you know uh assuming that that wasn't going to happen it kind of creates for a cool thing right so spencer has the idol he's going to play it on himself but instead of doing that he gives it jeremiah and says okay you're going to wear you're going to break this out in the middle of tribal council they're going to be not sure what to do they might flip the vote to me we're going to play the idol back on me as i would do originally and we'll see what happens it's better than doing nothing yeah maybe no, that's even better than what I thought of originally, which was I th- thought that Spencer should wear the idol and then he should give it to uh, Jeremy, as uh, <laughs> as Tony called him. But your yeah. plan is better because it and and as it should be probably uh, your plan is is better because it ends up with Spencer 
playing the idol for himself. So right. it's Spencer's plan. The only thing that could happen, I don't know if Jeremy could like totally scumbag him and say, uh, sure, what are you talking sure. about? This is my idol. <laughs> what are you talking right, about? Yeah. You gave it to me. I found this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got a confession. I'm a model and I got an idol. Like, that's pretty know, good. Something like that. That's, that's yeah. pretty good. Um, Unrehearsed. So I think that that would be the better move where Jeremiah comes in wearing the idol and then gives it to Spencer before the votes get cast. Spencer plays it for himself. Spencer is safe. And those guys uh, basically put their votes on the person who was safe. Or they at least aren't sure what to do. And like we had talked about before, you know, we talked about, you know, how does chaos impact survivor and poker? We talked about that and we had said, you know, it's, it's, I think that it's a, a useful tactic, but only if you have some strategy around it. And in this case, that would definitely create chaos of like, Oh, whoa, well, what is going on now? Are we flipping votes? Are we doing, you know, it would create that element of, of both drama and the uncertainty that might allow for opportunity. You know, I mean, in, in chaos lies opportunity, as I was always told when I was a kid. So I feel like uh, my parents, I guess, very chaotic people. So, you know, yeah. I, I just always kind of very had little that, finger that, that mindset and or. <laughs> that's right. My last name actually is Jason Littlefinger that I have here. That's that's right. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I feel like uh, that would have been a, a lot better of a scenario than just Spencer playing it, wearing it, and you know, nothing really dramatic happening out of that. You know, Edward Morris wants to know with a few male professional poker players playing Survivor, how would a woman poker player fare? Oh man, I I think I I actually think that I was I, I wonder if poker players would be like as straightforward about being poker players than you know like now everybody you know I'm not a cop I'm actually a t- I'm actually a teacher I don't know I feel like poker player is one of those things that again kind of would put people's alarm bells ringing mm-hmm. so it would probably be better not to be a professional poker player it'd probably be better to be something else you know but uh you know i I think that bringing uh, one of the one of the top tier women poker players and would probably be awesome you know probably would be underrated as a threat probably would be you know maybe overlooked by some of the more misogynistic men you know if you put somebody in like a vanessa selbst who we talked about earlier who i have a lot of respect for i don't know how she would do in the wild but maybe she would do fine uh you know any of those of those top tier women my friend danielle moon anderson who is who is awesome and probably would love to do survivor actually you know there there are plenty of women who are like sick poker players who have great minds for it that would probably be you know probably fly under the radar for a pretty decent amount of time i would think and the one question that i got from a bunch of people on twitter and on facebook is would you ever do survivor <laughs> I I don't know. I don't know. Again, my fears are not really if you could do Survivor from like my apartment here, I'm sure I would do fine, you know. <laughs> I'm sure I would do fine. But the idea, you know, I don't usually like leave the the apartment very often as far as to like see the sun or things like that. I feel like I would need more practice before I can say for sure either way. But you're making it sound like all I have to do is be more social, which how hard could that be? I think you would do, you know, again, I don't, I don't know you spectacularly well yet at this point, but I feel like you would be <laughs> off to the races. Well, you know, hey, now I know if I'm looking for a coach, now I know I, I can now convince you to do it because you were like, uh, I could. So now I know. Now yeah. I know if I need a coach. I know who I'm coming to. Yeah. No, I, abs- I absolutely would. Uh, all right. Well, all right. Jason, tell people how to catch you and where they can see Run It Up. 
Run it up. So I, uh, I'm i doing this this thing that these days on twitch.tv slash Poker. I'm playing poker live, on, sometimes with no delay, sometimes uh, with a delay. Either I show my whole cards or I don't. If I if I play with no delay, I cover my cards and then show them after the hand is over. But, you know, we, it's, it's something that's never been done before in poker, these these live streams that I'm doing now. And, uh, and it's huge been, in video games. And I feel like right. uh, one of the reasons why you're blowing up. Yeah, you know, I mean, I've always been a gamer since I was a kid. I've always loved the, the, the you know, that, that gamesmanship and the, the competition in that. So, so for me, you know, I, I, I kind of thought, well, why isn't this being done in poker? And really, the technology hasn't really been there for, for very long. There hasn't really been like, there aren't too many player casters, you know, I mean, like, like I had said to you when we first, when we first started talking, you know, we're both kind of in like unique professions, so to speak, that there aren't really too many people that, that can like cast and enjoy casting. And it's one of my, one of my passions. So com- combining that and poker for me, kind of like how you combined, you know, survivor and casting into your career, you know, I, I kind of feel like that's a it's it's an exciting field for me because there's really nobody else doing it. We're doing different things every week. I'm bringing in guests sometimes. I've got different ideas to do like heads up challenges where I'm going to have a high stakes professional come to my apartment. We're going to play live on camera, battleship style. You know, he's going to be sitting in front of me. I'm going to play. He's going to play live with no delay. You can see my cards because he's not going to be watching. So we can you know you can talk smack to each other, or do our own thing. I have so many cool ideas for streaming. I'm uh, I'm really excited about the next. Uh, the next six months or so of cool stuff. So you can find all of that and more twitch.tv slash J Carver poker. Yeah. Easy. Well, that's really great. You're doing so many amazing different things. Uh, I'm so happy that we were uh, introduced and uh, very happy to have you uh, in the RHAP extended family now. That's right. Now now we're both Long Island kind of cousins and uh, Rob has a podcast kind of cousins. That's it. The, the family bonds have been created. That's it. And we'll definitely do this again in the future. Yeah, this was awesome, man. I really appreciate it. Unless you, you get me on. so busy that you don't want to talk to me anymore. Then you can come on and run it up. We can do a, <laughs> oh. we can do a, we can do a Rob It Up episode when you come to Vegas. Perfect. Anytime. All right. There you go. Jason, thank you so much. You're very welcome, Rob. This was awesome. Thanks so much. All right. Bye. All right, everybody. There you have it. That was the great Jason Somerville here on RHAP talking about Survivor. And that was very, very fun for me. I'd love to have Jason on. Definitely every season as we go along here talking about Survivor. So Survivor coverage is only just here getting started. We're about to have a very, very crazy about eight to 10 days here on Rob Has a Podcast. On Wednesday, the 14th, we are going to have the second to last episode of Survivor Kagiyan, getting down from five to four people. Make sure you join us for Survivor Know-It-Alls. Then this Thursday, I'll talk to the next person who gets kicked out of the tribe. And then I will have a podcast with John Cochran, the winner of Survivor, Caramoan, and he is going to be here with me to talk about everything that happened and take your questions. And of course, then we're going to get to the voicemails with the first lady of podcasting, Nicole Sesternino. And then next week, we have your wall-to-wall Survivor finale coverage. The three-hour finale will be followed by Survivor Know-It-Alls. Stephen Fishback and I will talk about everything. We are going to begin taking your votes this week for the RHAP fan favorite winner of the season. The very prestigious trophy is on its way. We'll award that next week after the finale. I'll have interviews with all of the finalists and maybe even some additional bonus coverage coverage along the way. So we are going to have a really, really crazy next week and a half or so on Rob has a podcast. So again, 
Thank you to Jason for coming on here for the show. If you guys made it through this podcast, I know it's starting to get late in the week and close to the next episode of Survivor. I'm sure Jason would love to hear that you made it all the way through. Let's have a hashtag. Hashtag, instead of run it up, let's do hashtag rehap it up. And send that to me and Jason if you want to let us know that you made it all the way to the end. We love hearing from you guys. So have a great day, everybody. And we'll talk to you again soon. Bye. Bye.